Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is the show where we share cutting edge strategies on acquiring leads and sales to acquire more customers for your business. And today, Qasem Aslam, we have back one of our favorite guests, Kobe Topaz, boy band hero, ballistic missile dodger in the past. Hopefully in the future. (laughs) Into the future. Hopefully his luck holds. Diaper changing, media buying badass, uh, Kobe Topaz on today, which we're pretty excited about. He's got a great case study here. And I don't know as if we're going to be doing a full screen share here, but you do want to check us out over at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube. Check us out there. These are being released now in real time. Shout out to my man Shintaro for that. And of course, Kevin, our awesome producer. And Hector, I don't really know what you do. I don't know what you do here. He's like our overseer. He's like the Sith Lord nobody actually sees in the perpetual traffic. He cashes the checks. He cashes the checks, I think. But speaking of our videos, I mean... Talk about this. Like some of, I think you should go over to professionaltraffic.com forward slash YouTube just to see your thumbnails, Kasim. Because I do thumbnail well. They're impressive. I mean, no. it, it is like a photo shoot. Every single one, the expressions, all of that. I said it, you know, you look like Zoolander, but no, maybe not. I'm more Hansel in the yeah. Zoolander to Hansel comparison. Okay. Yeah. I think I have an Owen Wilson thing. <laughs> There's a lack of enunciation charm that I carry, right? <laughs> Aside from the uh, fact that he's blonde hair and you're you're not, but yeah, we'll leave I'm links not. in the show notes if you don't know what that reference is. But everybody knows Zoolander, right? Everybody knows Zoolander. Yeah. I think they're making another one, dude. I think they are the comeback of Zoolander. So yeah, so check out perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube just to see the thumbnails, which we're really happy with. And the content's not too bad either. So hopefully today, content will be stellar. I know it will be because Kobe always brings it. Case studies like fresh, like hot off the presses here. It's like we're printing case studies at Tier 11. So before we get into the awesome case study, which will actually have some involvement with Kasim on this. It won't be all meta all the time. We'd love to talk about meta. It's going to be about meta and Google, and particularly the types of products that work on both platforms. What nugget do you have for us today? So start by understanding your audience, where they're at, and your product, and then decide which platform you're going to use to arrange the meeting. Because the platform you're going to use are going to play a big role in how you move your customers from one end to the other. And the minute we switch that, we number of new customers by 61% and drop the CAC by 45%. Just by doing that, made a lot of positive changes. Choose your platform based upon your product. That guidance will be something that we'll be talking about here today. Any like tip within a tip there that you can give to people that say, all right, I don't really know what that means. If I'm a B2B business, for example, I get this all the time because I'm doing all our discovery calls right now for the month of August and tier 11. It's like, oh, I'm a B2B business. I want to be on LinkedIn. 
So I shouldn't, my customer isn't on meta kind of thing. Like that, is it that kind of question? Or are you talking about like price point? How would you sort of arrange that? A lot of people say, oh, I need to be on Instagram because I want to have the younger people or TikTok because I serve a younger demographic. Is it just that or is there more to it? There's definitely more to it. And don't come to the conclusion on where you need to be based on what you think. Take that conclusion based on data. Data in this case, which we will get into in this case study right after this quick break. Ralph has to get paid. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. All right, we are back and we have a correction from our earlier stage of today's podcast is that Zoolander 2 has already released, Kasim, you said, in what year? Seven years ago, Ralph. It's 2016. <laughs> it has a, a 4.7 on IMDb, which means it, it doesn't have a pulse, but it does have Penelope Cruz. So, so that's, that's worth it right there. Well, that's awesome. I agree. Yeah, just a little editorial correction here for the PT listener. Fact checkers. Yeah, exactly. Probably not coming here for IMDb reviews, but on the note of performance, as far as performance marketing goes, hopefully you're here for that because we've got a case study that Kobe's going to be talking about here today. And you can see this over on YouTube, by the way, perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube, 61% increase in new customer acquisition and a 45% drop in customer acquisition costs, otherwise known as CAC, by promoting a meta-friendly product. Notice how I just read that off your headline there? Like anybody could be a podcast host, but no, that's astounding. Whenever I talk to people about or businesses, like they're big thing is they want new customers. How do I get new customers? Yes, I can sell to my old customers. If I'm doing any sort of social ads right now, and you're probably mixing your audiences that are people that have bought from you before, or visited your website before, and maybe you're getting some new customers. But at the end of the day, like the purpose of advertising is to acquire new customers. 
and then you allow your systems, especially like your email sequences, you know, which I know this company has a really good email sequence to nurture those customers, enhance lifetime value overall. But the focus here is on customer acquisition cost or CAC. And if you can increase it by 61%, that's pretty damn good. So let's talk about it. How'd you guys do it? What are the details? And let's get into it. All right. So this customer, they're in the auto restoration space and they sell a wide range of products. Like they sell a lot. Now, one important note here is that when we started working together, they had an agency that runs the Google ads and we were primarily focusing on the Facebook side. Now, when we started working together, we said, okay, let's start with running the top sellers, whatever sells well on store wide and what's crushing it on Google. We started with that. We got some decent results for a couple of months. Now, if I go before, three months before we made the change, so just walking through the numbers a bit, from January till March, we spent over $266,000. And then we generated 2,081 new customers and the CAC was 127. Now in mid-April, that's where we started making the change because what we noticed is that on the Facebook side, the products that were selling really well on Google are not selling that well on Facebook. And we are noticing that Frequency levels were getting higher no matter how frequently we change creatives. And it, it didn't just happen with one product. It happened with multiple products. Also, with a couple of products, we noticed that due to their price range, it takes multiple touch points to make a purchase. It takes a lot of research because they have a lot of products. Each one of them is slightly different than the other one. And each one of them answers really specific needs of the potential customer. So what ended up happening is the products that were selling, for example, for $500, $1,000, people were seeing them on Facebook, but they weren't converting straight off a Facebook ad. They had to go back, do a lot of research, and then we noticed that they went ahead, Googled the product name, Googled the brand's name, and then made a purchase. And that price point so, again was, say that one more time? So multiple products between $500 to $1,000. $1, okay, gotcha. Yes. So that was one bucket. The second bucket of products were products that the price point was significantly lower, around like $100, $120, but they were specifically designed for the professional users, not your average Joe. So that also comes back to the point I mentioned earlier that we were starting selling them on Facebook. We saw some initial good results, but every time we tried to scale, we just hit a ceiling and frequency went up, costs went up. And what we ended up realizing is that these products, they're not the best fit for your average Joe. And there's a limited number of people that can really buy this product out of a Facebook ad. And that these products are specifically for professional use, not for ordinary people. Homeowners versus pros, like contractors. This can exactly. be extrapolated into almost any industry. In this particular case, it's auto care, really, at the heart of it all. Got it. Okay. Yep. Yep. Then we started thinking, okay, what? Because the, the main goal for these guys were customer acquisition. Like they wanted to bring new customers. So we started thinking, okay, what other products can fit and sell well on Facebook and will still be able to get customers at a profit for them that will then end up buying other products? So we ended up finding a product, for, again, within their very wide range of products that we saw a potential for new customers, specifically on Facebook. It had a significantly lower price point. And based on its use case, it was definitely reaching out to broader segment of audiences. And it was simple to use. So it's not only for people who are really professional in the ways, but basically for anyone. 
So everything clicked there. Well, Kobe, can I ask you about that? Because I think that's an important part of this strategy is the product identification feels so personal and specific to the client. How involved is the client in this process? Is it like symbiotic or do you guys go to the lab and come back to the client and say, this is what we think it is? And if you were prescribing where to start, aren't there variables that you have to get clear on? Things like margins, inventory, available ascension, those types of things. That feels like a, I mean, you almost have to be in bed with the client. Like you have to know so much about their business in order to make this decision. How do you get there? Yes. So it's definitely what you said. You have to be kind of in bed with the clients. That's how you achieve success. That's it. It's not like, oh, it's just another client. Like you have to really dive deep into everything. So when we've seen that product and also had the discussion with the client, that product, another huge benefit that it has, the cogs are significantly lower compared to the other products. So that gave us more wiggle room as well with the CAC. So it was an ongoing discussion with the clients, like checking the numbers in the systems and see what has potential and then coming up with a plan together. It was like a joint effort. That's why collaborating with your agency is so important. They've never sold on Facebook before or Meta before and sell a lot on Amazon, like a very successful business. And the question was, how do you guys go about choosing which one of our 100 products to start with? And I sort of went into your example Best sellers, highest profitability is a good place to start typically, but it's not necessarily just those two things. It's a lot of things as well. Does that product lead into other products? Is that a gateway product that might then allow them or through buying patterns that you see internally buys other products or maybe the lifetime value is better for a specific product. So therefore you can pay more to acquire a customer. Like it's, it's multifactorial. And I think a lot of folks just say, all right, what's my best seller? What's my highest margin? Even if they get to that point or they're taking a dart and throwing it against the wall and it hits one of their skews and like, all right, that's the one we sell on Facebook. So it's a much more in-depth conversation here, which like you said, this is a collaborative arrangement. And if you're an agency and you're not collaborating with your customers like this, you're one of the crappy agencies that I'd sell there. I'm sorry. <laughs> you and there's suck. a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, you suck. Because this is like, this is table stakes. You have to do this. And it changes over time, meaning that, you know, in this particular case, this customer, like you might not choose the right one to start. You have to test a lot of different ones. It sounds like you're able to do this sort of over time but by really understanding the client themselves. Yeah, and one note on the client, they're really, really savvy, like on everything. They know the numbers, they know everything. Yeah, and it's like, boom, like it's amazing from everything, like really, it was awesome. Know their numbers, like know their contribution margin, which by the way, let's just define a couple of these things, COGS, CAC and contribution, because we're going to be talking about contribution margin here, just like as a glossary of terms, if you're not familiar with what those are, how do you describe them to people when you talk about it? CAC, cost to acquire a new customer, ad spend versus the number of new customers you acquire, COGS, cost of goods sold, how many it costs you to manufacture the product, shipping costs, and all of that stuff. So CAC is cost to acquire a new customer, and then COGS is cost of goods sold, which is basically what it costs to you know, manufacture the product and store it and ship it and everything else. So, okay. So the product has lower cogs than compared to the other products, but also, as I mentioned before, it has just a wider use case. It appeals to a broader segment of audience. And the interesting thing was that the type of audiences we used, the type of creatives we used, the account structure, everything was pretty much similar to how we used when we promoted the other products. But the minute we switched to 
focusing more on that product as the main product to acquire new customers, results changed completely. So um, when I'm looking at the numbers, we made the change mid-April. Now it's the beginning of August. So if I look at April till the end of July, we spent $100,000 and we generated 3,369 new customers. And the CAC dropped from 127.84 to 69.93. Can I ask a question on that point, Toby? And this isn't a challenge at all, but I think it bears mentioning that the CAC dropped, but spend also dropped. So how much of that do you think is attributed to an increase in efficiency? And how much of that is attributed to the fact that when spend drops, you're going closer to the center of the bell curve where traffic tends to be more efficient? The spend, if you'll notice, didn't drop that significantly. It dropped by around like 10%. From 266,000 to 135. Okay. So the, the efficiency not, is not a major the improvement drop. in the campaign. And it doesn't have as much to do or maybe anything to do with the fact that we're spending less. And I noticed that in subsequent months, you went back up to the previous spend threshold and it looked like that efficiency maintained. Yeah. But another thing to point out is that when the other products were, when we promoted the other products, we were getting a lot of repeat purchases. Even though we excluded existing customers, Facebook was still getting a lot of repeat purchases because people are familiar with the brand. They're all over the place. They saw the ad and they purchased other products as well. So we're getting repeat purchases. But the minute we switched to that product, that's like 90% completely new customers. So that's what also skyrocketed the number of new customers. That's helpful. I, the, part of the reason that I want to grind this axe a little bit for our listeners is I, and maybe Facebook is a little bit different. In the Google sphere and ecosystem, the more we spend, the less efficient the campaign gets, which is, it's just an economic rule because we're dealing with inbound traffic and there's only so much of it. And so we'll have clients that, you know, we're achieving a certain benchmark of success and they'll say, great, increase the spend. And then as we increase the spend and the campaign scales, the efficiency decreases. And it's gotten to the point to where we actually preface that messaging in the sales call because it's been a problem so often. So I'm curious as to whether or not you guys deal with that as much as we do, given that you're more outbound and top of funnel. This is exactly the law of inverse profitability. Like the more you scale, the less margin you will see, but you'll end up with more money net after all the expenses. So Ralph has an awesome video about it on our YouTube channel, so definitely go check it there. We also have a blog post around it that goes more in depth. But it's like, the more you scale, the lower your profit margins. You can tolerate lower profit margins because at the end of the day, you'll end up with more money. Dude, you know what's super cool? Check this out. When I Google, because first of all, I'd never heard that term. I was going to steal that from you, Kobe, and that's my term now. But when I Google the law of inverse profitability, check that out. Ralph Burns owns not just the snippet, which is position zero, by the way, also position one and position two and position three and position four. Dude, you went and like, you went all in on this one. Oh, look, and I own position five. (laughs) And I I don't even know what it is. That's how well optimized I am. Oh, it's because it's a feed from perpetual traffic. Look at that. Yeah, and it looks like we've talked about this before, which just means I don't pay attention. So it's yeah. on your Qasim Aslam site, which yeah. very you know, ranks one of the top sites in the world, when I hear. It should be. It should be. Um it's it's cool though when you find yourself ranking for something important like that. So kudos to you, Ralph. That's pretty cool. That is do- dominating a very, very small niche. And we get probably Dude, zero to zero traffic for from that. Uh, yeah, uh, but here's kidding. the thing. And you know, uh, jokes aside, the one or two clients you'd get from a blog like that would be stellar clients. They'd be hyper educated. They know, and then, you know, I mean, for our listeners, don't ignore the long tail. 
because the best prospects and clients come from the long tail. You're going to get a fraction of what's available with short tail, but they're going to be so much better educated. Especially if you really understand your ICP, your ideal customer profile. I think that's super important. I was having this conversation this past week as well. It's like, why don't we do more like Facebook ad type blog posts? Because, I mean, we're speaking to them right now. In this case study, it's like directors of marketing, VPs of marketing. Like Those are the people that we want to help educate because we know we can help them. People who are actually doing this stuff, like that did work for a period of time. So we gear our content towards that. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a viral video. Although I think that video did pretty well, I think, on a lot of our social channels. But total side note there. So the law of inverse profitability is in effect here on the meta side of the equation. I think the other interesting part to this is that the data that you're showing is Facebook only, not universal for Facebook and Google inside, in this case, Wicked Reports. Uh, shout out to my boy, Do, do you guys not run their Google traffic? You're only doing their Facebook traffic? Yeah, correct. And how, Facebook. how deep are they into Google, just out of curiosity? They know they're not the way around Google. I mean, they're, they're pretty sure. I mean, they have well. a pretty significant spend. Yes, yes. They're spending more on Google. Yeah. I mean, given the nature of their products, it's most of their products are really heavily on search based on buying intent because they sell a lot of high priced products. Well, that so, was going to be my question from an attribution perspective. And I'm saying this is a Google agency. I know I steal Facebook's sales. We have clients where, you know, they, they're like, oh, look, we're getting a 900% ROAS in Google and Facebook's breaking even. So let's turn it off. And then they turn it off. And three months later, they're 900% ROAS is 600% ROAS and they're pissed. So for you guys who are generating mostly top of funnel, now, obviously the product that you chose, which is really brilliant is Facebook or, or let's say meta friendly. But what do you think the conversion lift is inside of Google? And can you even see that or account for it, given that you're not running their Google ads? So I will go back a little and about that point of view of that, oh, we're crushing it on Google, but uh, Facebook is horrible. Let's shut down Facebook. It's the gas that fuels the car. There's an, a, it's an example from, I don't know if he's still listening to this show, Dickon. Like if you drink eight beers, which one got you drunk? Was it the first one, the sixth one or the eighth one? It's like they both work together in a synergy. So if you cut down one, you're going to definitely hurt the other one. So don't look at it. That is the best analogy anybody's ever given. Yeah. yeah. The eighth one makes you throw up, but the first one is just as much to cause. You know, Deacon loves to take credit for that, but he stole it from Mike Rhodes. So, uh, yeah. I want to yeah, but Mike. did Mike Rhodes invent it or did Mike steal it from Perry Marshall? Uh, you he know, probably like, stole it from somewhere, but I always give credit for Mike because it's like in his analogies, like if Tom Breeze were to drink eight beers, which one was it that actually got Tom Breeze drunk? Anyway, Tom is English. Nothing would have gotten, gotten him drunk. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I've seen yeah. him on eight beers. He's pretty straight. <laughs> yeah. Tom doesn't mess around. Yeah. So, here's what's really interesting about our business models because I'm. Google ads, I'm the last beer. So I can play last beer guy and I get to constantly say, hey, I'm the one that did it. I'm the one that tipped you over. If I were you guys, and this is me over inserting myself, I wouldn't take clients unless I got their whole funnel. Because you running Facebook ads means you're doing all the hardest work, you're generating all the awareness, and you're not closing any of the deals. Or not as many of the deals as, as you should be given credit for. So man, I'd be fighting tooth and nail to say, I should be your, your Facebook and oh, your Google absolutely. agency. Absolutely. It really depends on how mature the customer is, if they understand that. And I think that the customers who do understand that, they will want to put all their eggs. It's a better analogy, put your all eggs in one basket, but it's like when you have one energy that manages everything, then you get that cohesive strategic 
plan, execute. Yeah, it. and then there's no there's combat like, oh, I got this. No, it's like, yeah. no, it's, it's, a, it's a joint effort across the board. And that's where you achieve the, the most wins. Yeah. At this point, I mean, <laughs> we spend equal amounts on both platforms. So it's like, you know, and we spend a lot on Meta. The point is, is that like they both work synergistically together. And if you've got all of those platforms under one roof, the communication and the dynamics between those teams all of a sudden fundamentally shifts to the advantage of the customer. And we've seen that we've got multiple customers where we do both. And it's like the teams talk to each other. They're cross-trained. They all know it. Like thanks to Kobe, actually, who spearheaded that whole thing. We used to be very siloed. Now it's like everybody knows every platform. You know, and there's some that specialize in certain things. And obviously, you know, some are specific on Google for specific niches. Some are specific on Meta on certain niches, that kind of thing. But which is going to happen inside a media buying agency. But the point is, is absolutely. It's like they feed each other. The legs feed the wolf kind of thing. And the wolf is usually the one that's taking the last click, which is Google. Like Google is benefiting from this a lot. But in your data, you don't show any of that. This is Facebook only taken through wicked reports, correct? Yep. Yes. Yep. Most Google agencies, and this is what's sad. And uh, you know, dude, this isn't even an anecdotal observation because I've done so much agency coaching and I've seen inside of so many Google agencies. So for my listeners, most Google agencies that I know, and I know a lot of them, don't understand themselves how reliant they are on your top of funnel. They look at their conversion data and they think, oh, look, we did that. And what's really dangerous about that is the other thing that nobody knows, and by nobody, I mean myself included, is the timeline that it takes to really generate that conversion path. Because when you turn off, and it's not just meta, I mean, it's any top of funnel, right? Radio, television, newspaper, door knockers, bandit signs, billboards, direct mail, any top of funnel, it could be three, six, nine months before you see the impact in the bottom of the funnel. And you're not going to remember, oh, dude, you remember nine months ago when we turned off our Facebook awareness campaign? You're just going to think the market shifted, something changed, quick, modify the offer. So no, I think this is this is a critical thing for, if you're a Google ad agency, it's a critical th- thing for you to understand and account for. If you're any type of funnel, man, I'd, I'd be fighting either to own Google or to make sure you're integrated with and synergized well with whoever's managing the Google. Because if you're fighting for budgets, then that's just a snake eating its own tail. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's one of the beauties, not to tout Wicked Reports, but Wicked Reports does have an infinite look back period. So you can actually see a campaign you know, nine months ago for Facebook that now is yielding Google sales today. Like it gets smarter as the longer you use it. And these guys are wicked reports like super users, which is great. The point is, is that, you know, if you have that kind of visibility, it makes the case even stronger that your meta, Google, Snapchat, TikTok should all be under one roof as much as humanly possible. Um, yeah, or or well synergized. I'll say well is the guy synergized. that belong in, under somebody's roof. True, but, but I play nice is the thing. We've got shared clients, and we're the first to say, "Hey, if you have more budget, don't give it to us yet. Go top a funnel with it." Yes, and if that's the way to test this too, go to your Google agency today. Let's say that you have one agency managing your Google. Go to your Google agency today with more budget and say, what do we do? If their knee-jerk reaction is just to give you more Google campaigns, they're thinking myopically in scope, and they're not a good agency. What they should be doing is, maybe there is more money they can take and spend. That's great. But what they should be doing is looking at the full spectrum of your advertising model and where you spend your money. 
And if they're not talking about other things, maybe opening up YouTube, obviously meta, and then things beyond that too, like what are you doing organically? What do you do from an influencer perspective? What are you doing socially? Then I would question their efficacy because all they know how to do is log into ads.google.com and they're just creative and intelligent button pushers. They're not thinking on a CMO level. Dude, ask your employees that. Go to your employee. If, you have, if you're a CMO or director of marketing, go to your internal employee, your Google ad employee, the employee managing your Google ad account and say, hey, what do we do with the extra budget? And if that employee is only looking at Google, they're thinking correctly. And that's just behavior to correct. It's a new paradigm. Say, hey, I need you, Google guy, to be thinking about the full spectrum of traffic. And that's true for every channel. Facebook guy, I need you to not think just top of funnel, also think bottom of funnel, because now it's better LTV, better retention, better ascension, better upsell, better OTO. So everybody needs to be thinking about the entire story. Because otherwise, your Facebook guy is just going to start the story really well. Your Google guy is going to end the story really well. But those things aren't going to connect in a symbiotic fashion. I felt like I got real preachy there. So y'all can just cut as much of that out as you want. No, because I made the case for it all being under one roof. And I think it. I think that's an easy solution. But I do think communication between the two sides is really essential. We share a, a fair number of clients. So like that works really, really well. So I mean, I 100% agree with what you're saying. The next level of all this is really is they were being co-managed Google and Meta together. It's like, all right, what can we do super top of funnel to feed more of the bottom of the funnel? Can we do more brand awareness campaigns, video view campaigns, like using the tool campaigns out on YouTube or, or on Facebook and then tying that back in, you know, provided there's a click in this particular case with Wicked Reports, tying it back into ROAS, like how it actually whittles itself down and goes into the funnel and winnows and finally does become a purchase. Like that's the bigger play. It's like take a step back and like, because when you reach, and we talked about this in a previous show, it's like you can stay in that conversion window for a long period of time and build a pretty nice business. You know, your high intent keywords, obviously your brand name keywords on the Google side, which you have to have to you know, siphon off the traffic that people are just going to Google your stuff. They see it on Facebook or they see it somewhere or in a billboard or wherever it happens to be. You got to have that. But then your conversion campaigns on Meta and this is something that you know we're really pushing because we see it really starting to take effect and it's backed up by scientific data, is that on Meta, your scale really happens when you start going top of funnel and not trying to get them to convert. Getting some level of awareness or consideration. Kobe, you did a great case study on this last month, which we'll leave links in the show notes to. You know, we've done tons of YouTube videos on this where you're really creating your own demand by putting ad spend on non-converting ads. Like what we're talking about here is like straight to conversion, right? Put in a dollar, get a ROAS, you know, in this case, you know, lower your CAC, like which is great. But how do you take that to the next level? You actually do it with more top of funnel content, which is harder to pin a return on ad spend on immediately. Because as we know from these studies that we went through extensively in that podcast from a few weeks back, it typically takes anywhere from three to six months, if not longer. Now I went on my soapbox. Kobe, you're the only one that hasn't hit a soapbox today. All right. So we are here with Kobe Topaz. We just went through a case study that in case you missed it, <laughs> make sure that you go back and listen to the details here. But we're going to do the reverse of this case study. Like this worked from Facebook to Google and all on Facebook, but it can actually work in the reverse. We're going to talk about that after this quick break. 
Hey, do you want to work with the best client-focused agency in the world? I mean, one that helps purpose-driven businesses achieve their vision? Well, it's time you check out Tier 11 as a career choice. Right now, we are hiring for a lot of different positions, but the most important one right now is our client success owner. The CSO is one of the most important positions at Tier 11 because they're the linchpin between our clients and our team who ensures smooth communication and excellence in service delivery. When I built this company 10 plus years ago, I always wanted to have a virtual organization that has strong company culture and a client-centered focus that really took things to the next level, but also enabled purpose-driven businesses to achieve their vision through what we do every single day through customer acquisition amplification. So if this sounds like you and you have the skills required to be an awesome client success owner, head on over to tier 11 forward slash jobs, tier11.com forward slash jobs, fill out the CSO application. We'd love to talk to you about how you can take your career and our client success to the next level. All right, we are back with Kobe. Let's talk about how Google can feed Facebook as opposed to Facebook feeding Google. And I think Kasim will be very happy at this part uh, of today's episode because his Google disciples will be like, yeah, finally, we're getting some credit here. So so both of us can drink beers at the same time, Kasim. And in, in this example, I mean, we're working on, on the same client. You're managing the, the Google ads, you're managing the Facebook ads. And the interesting thing is when we met with John and we wanted to get insights from both platforms so we can provide other insights to the other platforms that work together, we were noticing what works on Google and what type of keywords people are searching for before they make a purchase. So there's a lot of different keywords that people use. There's a different intent. And what we said earlier is that Facebook is top of funnel, but then Google closes the sale. Well, in this case, there were a lot of instances where it was flipped. So people came initially and, and searched for the best X product and they saw the Google ad, they clicked on it, but then they didn't convert, but then they saw retargeting ads on Facebook and converted. So it can go vice versa. That's what I meant when I said earlier, each platform, like they work together. It goes down into the nitty gritty parts of the specific keywords that you use, then the specific ads that you use. That's why I said that in the beginning that you, you really got to understand your customers, your product, and then which platform you use and how to arrange the meeting. Because in this case, Google was used to two different scenarios and same as Facebook. So it's, you had that kind of like that loop of certain campaigns get the top of funnel traffic and then Google closes them. But the other campaigns got the top of funnel traffic from Google, but then Meta closes them. So you get to that level of cohesiveness between the two platforms when you really take a step back and map out what the hell you're going to do. Like just don't go in and throw in campaigns. Just map out who your customers are, your products, the different levels of awareness, and where you can meet them with the different platforms. It might be that for some products that even they have like a really high price point, there's a lot of research that's going to be involved on their side before they make a purchase. And yes, they might end up buying on Google, but what can you do on Facebook? Well, on Facebook, don't look at getting a conversion for that specific product on Facebook. Use Facebook to support the consideration phase. Show a couple of like how-to videos, show testimonial videos, show product comparison videos, stuff like that. Don't focus on getting a conversion. Don't optimize for a conversion. Like you can try that and see what happens, but you can also try and optimize for just getting people who are who shown interest in the product, scroll a bit on the product page, and then you meet them on Facebook with those type of videos. 
So that way you support the Google efforts as well and vice versa. And you can do the same thing on YouTube. Show them those type of videos on YouTube as well. First of all, I agree with everything you just said. And I've seen this repeatedly with nearly every client we have. The minute we roll out omni-channel remarketing, all campaigns benefit sometimes to the tune of 2x. And my own personal campaign is like that. Solutions 8, our cost per lead, and I hate CPL as a metric, but it's just the most accessible. Our cost per lead is usually between $450 and $500. As soon as we started using omnichannel remarketing, it dropped down to $250 and less. It's an unbelievable tool. Here's the, di here's the difficulty we run into, and I'm sure you guys run into it as well. And so I think maybe what we can do is brainstorm as to how to approach clients with this. Anytime we run campaigns to support the consideration phase, those campaigns tend to have terrible attribution. YouTube, Meta, doesn't matter where, because the, the purchase isn't expected to take place in that application, number one. Number two, the origination didn't happen there. The conversion's not going to happen there. And so you're really not going to see anything other than engagement data, which is all vanity metrics. And unless you've done a really good job tracking pre and post conversion lift, you're kind of just telling the client, hey, we're going to go spend to support this account over here. And how is agencies or, or CMOs or digital mar or, you know, director of marketing, how do you get stakeholder buy-in on that narrative? Because I got to be honest, fellas, I usually lose that battle, I'd say two times out of three, and then I give up because I'm Google, I'm the last beer, I'm going to get you drunk anyway. I know it can improve, but when the client fights me tooth and nail, I'm just like, all right, man, let's, we'll just stick to what's easy. It's a hard case to make, even though we all know it's the right thing to do. It's like convincing toddlers to eat broccoli. It's just so, at the end of the day, I'm like, I don't care. You're going to get, what is it? Lupus. What's the thing that the pirates used to get when they don't get vitamin C? Scurvy. Yeah, you're going to get scurvy and then that'll be on you. Um, I'm a horrible father. How do, you, how do you convince clients of that? Because there's just no data support whatsoever. So I would say that the easiest thing will be that the first thing I will address, the, the main objection I'll assume they're going to have is, oh, it's gonna just waste of money. Well, the interesting thing with these campaigns, you don't have to spend that much money, especially the consideration ones. You can spend as low as like 10, 30 bucks a day, and that's it. But what, what you can do is run the campaigns as they are 30 days, no consideration support at all. See the numbers you get. And then for the next 30 days, add those consider on consideration campaigns and then see if you're mm, getting it's a, like a pre and post provocation performance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, you don't have to spend that much money on these campaigns. It's really a support. It really, it's, you don't have to spend so much money on these campaigns because the audience is fairly small and with the low budget, you can still reach out to them and generate results. So you don't have to spend that much money there. You just play a bit with it a bit and you'll end up still reaching to those audiences multiple times. So when you address that price objection immediately, I think that's definitely going to lower the barrier. That's another reason that you either need all of your teams talking to each other or everything in, under one roof. Because if you're going to do that pre and post provocation test, everybody has to be on board. And if they're not, you can't do it. The interesting part about this is that in that Bennett and Field study, which we referred to in the previous episode, which we'll leave links in the show notes for this, like one of the best like, you know, marketing studies that nobody knows about <laughs> that I've read in quite some time, it backs this up and it actually says specifically their conclusions were that 60% of your spend should be on brand 
or awareness slash consideration phase. And by, by awareness, we're talking about like that YouTube video that doesn't get the click, right? It's the video view or the video view on Facebook that doesn't get the click. The consideration is when they opt in for the coupon code or they become a lead or that you have a sort of a middle of a transitional call to action somewhere between where you want them to go and where you ultimately want them to go. Like in our, our case study here, it could be a coupon code. I mean, they have that wheelie thing like everybody else does on their e-commerce site, you know, where they put in their name and email address. And there's a reason for that is that that stuff actually does work because you can long-term nurture them by getting some consideration. Even if the, when they visit the site, they don't actually activate or convert. So there is that sort of messy middle there to a certain degree, especially if there is no click, because not even Wicked Reports can go back and track that. So it's a little bit of a leap of faith where you really do have to look at you know, marketing efficiency ratio and have the client on board with it. But it's the key to scale. It's like that first step that Indiana Jones took in the third indie movie, which I'm sure you've seen, where it's like he's stepping out into the chasm. Like it's scary, but then all of a sudden the stone that blends into the other cliff, like all of a sudden appears out of nowhere. <laughs> you got some rough losing you. Right movie reviews. <laughs> Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a thing, okay? And Indy's got to get thing. this thing. He's yeah. got this thing. He's crossed. Yeah. I'm going to leave the video of that in the show notes. Just so <laughs> I am not going down a total rabbit hole here. <laughs> Losing yeah. everyone. Uh, but it's like that. It really is. Some of this, but like Kobe said, you don't have to put 60% of your budget into it up front. You can start with 10 to 20 to $30 a day, 100 bucks a day. And just boosting top of funnel and see what measure it and do a conversion lift study. Oh, you know, we could actually do that on meta. So yes, there is a lot of that and it's a hard sell custom. But I, I do think that when a lot of customers come to us, they've come up against a level of scale. They're like, how do I get to the next level? Yeah, they're more sophisticated and they understand the value proposition. That's really helpful. Not all of them. Yeah. Like, you know, in the case study here, we haven't even gone to that level yet, but that would be the next level of scale, 100%, you know, especially when the Google and the Facebook teams are really communicating with each other. But yeah, it is a leap of faith. And that's why some brands are huge and some are, you know, mid-sized because they don't want to take that leap of faith. Mm. The, yeah, you know what it reminds me of? It would actually be really cool to do just for normal clients. I used to run uh, a lot of challenge traffic. I was Pedro Adeo's traffic agency for a year and change and he'd run like millions of dollars to, in a single challenge you know over or in like a seven day span we'd spend 10 million dollars or something like that and because challenges are very impulse buy ask his show rate was always i mean it was really good for challenges but he always had a lower show rate than he wanted so you know if 100 people signed up getting 30 onto the challenge was good and then and this wasn't a, a, as big a problem with his challenges, but for other people he consulted with, a really big problem was return rates. Because these online challenges sell something. So let's sell like a course or a membership or whatever for two grand. And they have these insane guarantees. You're going to lose 30 pounds in 30 days or 100% of your money back. And then they'd get 50% return rates or just things that were crazy and, and catastrophic to a business. So what we started to do is we actually ran post-conversion ads Somebody signs up for the challenge. We run ads 
reminding them how awesome Pedro is, how awesome the guest speakers are, what a great time they're going to have. And it increased their show rate sometimes by 2x. It would double. And then after the challenge, post-purchase, we would run ads reinforcing their purchase decision. And then what we found out is most of the people that were refunding the products just weren't taking the courses. So if we could run enough ads to get them to open up the course, they'd be like, holy crap, this is actually really good stuff. And then we decrease the amount of returns. And it makes me think that if you have a sophisticated client who really understands the value proposition of, of this type of indoctrination, after a client buys a product, putting, like Kobe's saying, case studies, testimonials, even info, like how to, you know, I just bought a new Traeger grill. And if you sent me a bunch of videos on how to grill up, you know, here's how you do salmon, here's how you do ribs, here's how you do brisket. I would be more likely to not just use my grill, but be happy with my grill. And so there's less negative reviews, longer retention, you know, more Traeger pellets sold. I think that post-conversion paid nurturing would be really fun to play with, especially in e-commerce ecosystems. Yeah, it's a really good example. I think it's something that's really overlooked. Like not, uh, people think like, all right, well, as soon as they purchase, of course, they're going to use the thing. So now I'll cross sell them with something else, which we certainly do. Like our level five, like our purchaser advertising is cross sells, upsells. It's, you know, if it's a CPG item or if it's like a supplement that's used up in 30 to 60 days, hey, you know, order again, Tempted you know, like that kind yeah. of stuff. It's, tiny, it's an infinitesimally small spend. The point is, is like consumption in those ads is a small spend too. And act, it's, that's true activation. Like the awareness consideration activation is really is it's conversion, but activation is when they actually use the thing. And Which is what you want. Like you just leave your shit. Yeah. Dude, so, this is a stupid example, but I bought one of those Wi-Fi amplifiers for my house. You know, it's supposed to be because my, my Wi-Fi doesn't reach every corner of my home and it was a pain in the ass. And so I, it, was, it was like 400 bucks. It was an expensive buy. And then I didn't set it up for weeks. And every time I passed by it, I was pissed. I was mad at myself, but I was more mad at them. I was mad at them for selling me this thing that wasn't doing me any good. It's just this box in my office on the floor. And when I finally put it together, I'm so happy now, dude. I can go anywhere in my house and actually have internet connectivity. You know, like I'm just sitting there scrolling through freaking Instagram from my bathtub because I, I now actually can be connected. But before I set the thing up, I was irrationally angry at this company for existing and for conning me into buying their bullshit. And, it, you know, is that their fault? No. Is it incumbent upon them to run activation ads to me? No, obviously not. But it, it kind of speaks to how illogical consumers are and how if you can kind of get them into a point to where, man, I actually really like this thing. Then they shift from being pissy to being advocates. And here I am on perpetual traffic talking about my Wi-Fi amplifier thing, which I think is called a Deco. A Deco. So well done, Deco. Great right. product. Did they have a, this is the reason why they have quick start guides. They, right? Yeah, they had a great quick start guide. It was, it, dude, I scanned a QR code. I, here's yeah. the best part. It was on the box. It wasn't even in the box. Yes. You can tell they've run into this. They're like, just scan right. the QR code and we will treat you like a, a, an infant and you can follow along. I just didn't do the work. I was just being yeah. lazy. Yeah. So they had it there. Yeah. But what could they have done uh, like email sequence like that's so that's what would have been cool is an email sequence text case studies. yeah something something that like followed up and just said hey dude you bought the thing have you used it if you have how do you like it write us a review 
Right. You know, like those are interesting things. Yeah. Did you buy it online? Is that I bought it from Costco. So they, okay. in this particular instance, they wouldn't have had that opportunity, but right. I should have lied to you and said I bought it online, Ralph. That would have led, I think, to no, greater no, no. continuity guess, with the discussion. No, seriously. Like I bought a, I bought one of those like Roomba mowers. Like, well, actually my wife bought it for me for Christmas and a tale of two tools here for me is like that thing sat in the garage for like six months. And finally I figured out like, all right, I'm going to actually put this thing together. It was so freaking hard to set it up. They did not have a quick start guide. They did not have an idiot guide. They did not have anything. They didn't have a QR code. I looked at the instructions. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to take me all of Saturday and Sunday to set this freaking thing up. So I went out and I bought an electric lawnmower just because, you know, we've got a really small yard and literally it yeah. had like three steps. It's like, take battery, put in, put in yeah. press button, walk. Mike. Okay. It was like hanging on a tag on the freaking lawnmower. Like that's how easy it was. Like that's activation. Whereas my, my Roomba lawnmower is still sitting in the garage and like in tattered pieces. Well, dude, those, we have a Roomba vacuum. It was a thousand dollars. I know. Oh, I love my Roomba vacuum cleaner. I mean, yeah, I'll tell you on. what Roomba did really well with their vacuum, which is also worth e-commerce store owners noting, is uh, the extended warranty opt-in, the call to action that exists inside of the packaging was really compelling. It was like, hey, if you want like more coverage for longer, just go sign up here. And then they got my my name, my phone number, my mailing address, my email address. And then you want to talk about the opportunity to activate. Yeah, that, so I did the same like thing. Building, yeah, I did the same exact thing. It's like, oh, your warranty is only a year, but if you click this QR code or whatever it is and sign up, and I gave him my email address, and I got a you know a Roomba email like every other day, and I've also got the app, like it, like it immediately installs the app on your front. Like that's true activation. Right. Yeah. When conversion is when it, the, the buy happens, but activation is when you actually use it. We need a whole episode on activation. I think we, we're doing half an we're episode doing it. on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true. Like, think about your product seriously, whether you're in the service business, digital products, you're selling physical stuff. Like, what can you do to ensure that experience is? a really positive one so much so that we even talked about before we hit record today is write us a review at the end of the purchase. Like we were looking at the client and the case studies site and like, Oh my God, they've got so many reviews and they've got like so many five star reviews first off. And they used a tool, which we surmise is at the end of the conversion which starts the activation phase. Like how easy was it to order your stuff from us? Like it begins with those sorts of things. That's post-purchase activation. Now Dude, you that's become an advocate. Too, Cause that's the wrong question. Shopper approved does that. You buy something from an e-commerce site and Shopper approved says, how easy was your checkout experience? Right. And oh, then you totally click slanted. five stars and then Shopper approved says, other shoppers say that this is a five-star product. And, and in my mind, I'm like, no, they didn't. They just are glad that they... Uh bought the thing with relative ease you're you're not lying but you're getting damn close and i guess good for you if you can if you can finagle the world that way the main thing here is that you show your customers that you care about them and that's the big boys play i mean you're not here just to generate customers for the sake of it like you really want to enhance their lifetime value 
acquire a customer is hard, but it's it's easier to keep them. So that's really super important. There it is, right there. There's Kobe's soapbox. Kobe, Kobe, philosopher Kobe. Well, no, absolutely. Then I think that's a great place for us to stop here with uh, a, a Kobe statement of truth. And uh, yes. thank you once again for coming on Perpetual Traffic, dropping the knowledge bombs here, living through Kasim and my rants for the last uh, 45 minutes or so. And of course, an you can. 40, it's, been, it's been a long time. Yeah, it's, it's been a long episode. <laughs> for the record, Kobe's been suffering through yeah, this Kobe's for been far longer this. than Ralph gives him credit for. Yeah. What are these guys yeah, going to stop? Clearly, Ralph pays Kobe by the hour and is trying to finagle the timeline. It's like, you know, I'm on the phone with the boss. Yeah. You know, I was busy the whole time. All he's doing is talking about himself. Uh, well, everyone knows where they can get a hold of Kobe Topaz. That's over at tier11.com. You can actually put his brains to work for you if you do want to get this kind of results for your e-commerce business, Kobe personally will help you with it and guarantee results like all great agencies do, right, Kasim? That's guarantee right. results. Yeah. Kobe's also, he's, he's expressed an interest in getting into sales, I heard, Ralph. That's true. That's yes, true. Maybe yeah, he'll replace yes. me. And getting peace in That's the Middle right. East. Peace yeah. in the Middle I'll, East. I guarantee guarantee sales. Sales. likely to me. Peace in the Middle East and Kobe moving into a sales peace role. The, peace in the Middle East. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think it's all right there. Easy peasy. Easy yeah. peasy lemon squeezy. All right. Well, you can get a hold of us, obviously, at uh, tier11.com. Thank you for coming on today's show. Kobe Topaz. I always want to say thank you. Yeah, big boy band hero. Big shout out. Thank you. Just a big shout out to Ricardo and Daniela for working hard on this Absolutely. account. Absolutely. Yeah. That's good. I thought That's you were taking yeah. all the credit yourself. That's nice to... Yeah, no, no. I decided this time, no. But yeah. <laughs> like, why don't you ever give me any credit? Like, they all come back to you after you come on a perpetual traffic episode. That's all right. Uh, yeah, Daniela and Ricardo on this one. So great job there. Yes. Uh, so make sure that you do leave a rating for us. If hopefully it'll be a five star rating. Uh, in this particular case, you never really know, Kasim. How easy um, was it for you to listen to this podcast? <laughs> 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 Tell us wherever it is. I didn't even have to download. It just magically right. appeared in my podcasts and my uh, in my. How Spotify. playable was the play button? How playable was the play button? I had to touch it with my thumb. Always let us know what we can do better over at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better. We do read those every single week. Thank you for everyone who puts in feedback there. Follow myself, uh, Ralph Burns, on LinkedIn and Kasim over on Twitter at Kasim Aslam. You're also on Instagram these days quite a bit, I've noticed. Yeah, we so, just say yeah, on all socials. On all every social platform, I'm at Kasim Aslam. Uh, at Kasim Aslam. Because you're the only guy with that name in the universe, I believe. It's not true. There's, no? Yeah. No. Yeah, apparently I'm like a John Smith on the other side of the pond. I just I haven't met any. Ah, but okay. Yeah, there's a guy who writes naked. about boxing somewhere who has my name. Oh my gosh! Wow, all the things I didn't know. All these big reveals way at the end of the show. Uh, make sure you do go back and listen to previous episodes, and of course check us out on YouTube, perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube. All resources and show notes over at perpetualtraffic.com. We've got quite a few here that we will link over there for you. And on behalf of my awesome co-hosts, Kasim Aslam, not the only one in the world, apparently, but the only one that has a podcast. How about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everybody has a podcast these days, Ralph. We can't guarantee that. Uh, (laughs) Peace. 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 Until next show, see ya. 
You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic, 